Good evening, good afternoon, and good morning, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, wherever you are in the world, and whenever in time you've chosen to tune in, thank you for listening. This is Owning Shakespeare. This is the podcast where together we take a deep dive into a single Shakespeare speech with a different text detective every episode to uncover the creative opportunities embedded in the text and prepare to seize them in performance with an incredible Shakespeare actor. I'm your host, the actor-writer-director Rob Miles, and my guest for today's show is none other than Deborah Ann Bird. Deborah Ann Bird is an Afro-Latina classical actress and native of Spanish Harlem in New York City, fluent in black theatre, gospel theatre, and of course, classical theatre. Bird is the founder of the Harlem Shakespeare Festival and the new artistic director of the Southwest Shakespeare Festival. She regularly stars in Becoming Othello, A Black Girl's Journey, directed by Tina Packer and winner of no less than eight Broadway Berkshire's Awards, including Best Play and Best Performer. An actor, producer, arts manager and business leader, Bird has been named Writer-in-Residence at the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust, Artist-in-Residence Fellow at the Folger Institute, an Aaliyah Bundles Community Scholar at Columbia University and a virtual artist in residence at the Centre at West Park. She was the 2021 recipient of the prestigious Sydney Berger Award presented to her by the Shakespeare Theatre Association for her work with Shakespeare and she has received more than 20 awards and citations across her career including the LPTW Lucille Lortel Award and Josephine Abadie Award for excellence in producing works that foster diversity. Deborah and Bird, a very warm welcome to Owning Shakespeare. Hello, how are you? Thank you so much for having me, Rob Miles. You know, it is just so great to be in the same room with you again. It is just a, a, a blessing, I say. It's a brilliant thing. Absolutely. Amazing. Thank you so much, mate. I really appreciate it. The love is reciprocal. Obviously, we have worked together before briefly on a couple of different things. A show must go online, uh, played no other than Cleopatra uh, and did an absolutely incredible job of that. Uh, so do go and check that out online, everybody. Uh, but for now, obviously we're going to be looking at something very different um when we've worked together before it's been under a really kind of tight time scale a lot of pressure to get through a lot of text very quickly here we're going to do a little bit of text and we're going to get to really into the guts of that speech and discover how you in particular uh, use your practice to help you uh, crack open that speech and find those creative opportunities that are nestled within it um, as our listeners will know this show is all about the enthusiasm of the guest for a piece that they would love to perform uh, out there in the real world. Uh, and that's why we always give our guests uh, the first choice as to what the speech is going to be. So, Deborah and Bird, what speech have you chosen and why? Uh, well, I chose a speech from Richard III, not Queen Elizabeth, not Queen Margaret, not Queen Anne. No, no, no. I decided it might be time for me to put on my mean girl pants and try Richard. <laughs> yes, mate. I love it. So what speech is it? So it's the speech when I think it's act four, probably scene two, if I remember correctly, when Richard and Elizabeth are duking it out. Amazing. So could you start us off then uh, to begin with, with just a cold read of the text, no intention, no acting, just so that our audience at home has heard the words out loud that we're going to be exploring in this episode? Of course. Look, what is done cannot now be amended. Men shall deal unadvisedly sometimes, which after hours gives leisure to repent. If I did take the kingdom from your sons to make amends, I'll give it to your daughter. 
If I have killed the issue of your womb to quicken your increase, I will beget mine issue of your blood upon your daughter. A granddam's name is little less in love than is the doting title of a mother. They are as children, but one step below. Even of your metal, your very blood, of all one pain, save for a night of groans, endured of her for whom you bid like sorrow. Your children were vexation to your youth, but mine shall be a comfort to your age. The loss you have is but a son being king, and by that loss your daughter is made queen. I cannot make you what amends I would, therefore accept such kindness as I can. And when this arm of mine have chastised the petty rebel, I will come and lead thy daughter to a conqueror's bed. And she shall be so victorious, Caesar's Caesar. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Wow. So much potential there to be tapped into. Really excited to dive into this with you. Before we do so, uh, I think it'd be lovely just to get uh, a sense from you of... Uh, who the character is that you're playing, uh, who they're speaking to and why, what's happened to them so far and what they're going through right now that's motivating this bit of text. Absolutely. So this speech is a speech um, for Richard from the play Richard III. By, of course, we know who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might have heard of Richard it. has now, um, by this time, come through a whole lot of things. One, he had two other plays before this to start his journey. And he was in the famous War of the Roses with his brothers and father. And they, um, most for the most part, dad dies before all of this action of Richard III uh, killed by the other side. And then Richard, he's like, you know what, my brother, he's marrying this woman. He's not really trying to be the king. My other brother's too weak. And me, I have other plans. I um, desire to be the king. So I think I should take out my brother, take out my other brother, and then maybe I'll have the throne. I think the crown might be good for me. So he sets out on a path to get the throne. His first tried to get first legitimacy by marrying um, the queen of the of the man he killed, uh, <laughs> and now, and now he's like. Everyone's really pissed off at him. His mother's pissed off at him. Um, he kills Queen Anne. He kills every day. He kills Elizabeth's sons. He kills Elizabeth's brothers. Poor Elizabeth. It's not the best time for her, is it? It's not the best time for her, but she's decided that she needs to be extremely angry with him. But she has a good conversation with Margaret. And Margaret said, she said, Margaret, teach me how to curse because this dude needs a talking to. <laughs> and so Margaret says to her, just remember your killed sons and it won't be that hard. So, so Elizabeth is walking away when she sees Richard and she's like, oh God, let me see how I can get out of this. So she's a little pitifully trying to get out of it. And, and, and then she, then she just really goes on these really big tangents. You know, my tongue should to thine ears not name my voice so that my nails were anchored in thine eyes. And he's like, calm down, baby. 
You losing it. We just want to have a conversation. I just want to marry your daughter. And then they go through this really beautiful uh, ping pong where they're using each other's words and other. And it's just really beautiful volleying back and forth. And then he says, well, I, I swear, I promise. And she says, swear by nothing. And, and then he says, you know what? Look. And with that little comma there, I mean, <laughs> shut the hell off. Because I, I got this. Now. I love this. I love this. This is such a good uh, lead up and ramp up into this speech, uh, which does start, uh, as you say, quite rightly, uh, with that word, look. Um, and <laughs> just the inflection that you placed on that there was, just gave us that sense of yeah, because we say the that patience in the running out. Is we that right? We say, look ahead. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it so much. It's, it's such a great energy to, to bring to it. And so what, I guess, what made you feel like Richard was a character that you were eager to dig your teeth into? Well, I'm thinking Richard was interesting because I decided that I could begin to relate. Not so much after working on Othello mm. and what that was. That was really amazing. But then I thought, I'm always playing um, me, my personal self. I'm always, you know, I skew chords kind, I skew chords nice. And, and then someone once told me, oh, Deborah Ann, you know, it's hard for you to play those main characters like uh, Iago, like Victor. I said, oh, no, you haven't seen the monster. <laughs> 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 Therein lives a monster that I keep hidden in the attic. <laughs> so I wanted to, one, challenge myself to play the monster um, or someone who's considered the monster. What does that look like for me? Can I really go there? Two, um, I love his speeches. Um, um, what is it like to be someone who's looked at as, no, see, this is where I relate. No, you won't ever be that. You know, um, someone who starts out with a handicap, not not a handicap that, you know, once I cast a Richard in uh, uh, Richard III for my theater company. And when I approached him and we had our long meetings and conversations and he met with the director afterwards, he said to me, Deborah Ann, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, is Richard's handicap that he's a black man? <gasps> wow, that hit me on all sides. One, because I knew that my company was geared towards helping classically trained actors reach their highest potential, giving them center stage opportunities. And so that was not my intention at all. But just the thought of it made me say, wow, that's a handicap <laughs> in a whole lot of parts of the world. Mm. So how do you overcome that which have been placed on you from birth that you start with a handicap? How do you then become what Richard became, what Deborah Ann has been uh, accused of 
an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is something that I think is really important, when, especially when you're going to play a villainous character like Richard, is that you need to be able to fight his corner as the actor that's going to inhabit that role, right? You've got to find that way that the things that he does and the reasons that he does them can make sense to you. And I think that that's, that's such a, a fantastic way in uh, and a really exciting thing to be able to explore with you today. Um, I think, I, I mean, I love this play, you know, when we did it with Show Must Go Online, we were doing them chronologically, and it really struck me by an order of magnitude how much better, not taking anything away from the previous plays, but how much more of a masterpiece this was than the things that we'd done up to this time. And it felt to me like... I, I have this kind of pet theory that all Shakespeare is argument, and I feel like this play is when he realised that and decided to say, well, how far can I take it? Because it feels to me like Richard gets put in and puts himself in voluntarily impossible situation after impossible situation where his only strategy is to argue his way out. And I feel like this is an example of that. And I feel like the Lady Anne scene that this is kind of a mirror of much earlier in the play um, is an example of that as well. So now that we've got an idea of who the character is, why we're interested in playing them, what situation they're in when uh, they start to speak this word and that word wonderful breaking point that you've already identified that that motivates that look (laughs) which is just beautiful um we're about to start breaking down this speech and exploring this speech in earnest so the question that i always ask at this point in the podcast deborah ann bird when you are looking at a speech like this for the first time with a view to performing it out there on stage in front of people where do you begin i i normally begin with one of the first things i do because it's the easiest is underline the last word of each line. Mm, Such a good one. And then I do some of the more easy things, which is go through the text and find all the S's that's supposed to sound like Z's, like is. Mm. So that when you say these things or hit hit those words, the people in the back row will understand it by the time the sound dissipates. They still get that it was a is or was or words, amends. So I put all my Z's in. And then I work on my linking, which links the vowels to uh, blood upon. My issue of your blood upon. I the, the consonant which links to the vowel so that the words flow together. Got you, yeah. I also go through and I try and find the words that repeat. And I also go through and try and find the ands and the buts. When I, after I uh, go through and underline the last word, um, I read them so I can see if I understand the speech because I often find that those last words often tell you what the speech is about. Mm. For example, this speech is amend, sometimes, repent, sons, daughter, womb, beget, daughter, love, mother, below, blood, groans, sorrow, youth, age, king, queen, wood, can, chastised, come, bed, Caesar. So when I look at that, I'm like, okay, so this is about some kings and queens and daughters and love and mother and children and youth and whoa. I also go through 
and try to figure out what do these words mean? Especially the ones that I don't really, really know in my soul what they mean. Sure thing. Like vexation. Yeah. I know what vexation is, but sometimes you got to get the thesaurus out and really figure out what that means three or four different ways. 100%. So that when you hit it, it has three or four meanings in it and it fills the words up, mm. especially the ones that I have no idea. I know what amends is, but I would look that up unadvisedly. I would look up. I would even look up leisure because of the way it's used. Uh, metal, rebel, any words that I don't use in my Deborah Ann Bird's regular everyday speech, I would look those up so that I can become very familiar with these words. That's my next thing. Love it. Of course, I go through and I do my consonants. I like when I say what, um, that, mm. you know, all of that kind of thing um, becomes important. So I'm very uh, outside in kind of girl. And when I first go to rehearsal, I'm always accused of being affected or speaking a certain way because I have just learned my script the way I'm, the way I am, um, uh, I'm talking about it now. Mm -hmm. And so I have not yet had the opportunity to really go in and do the thing that makes the speech really come alive in, in my own words with my own soul and body. I have not done yet my uh, emotional journey. Mm. I haven't done that yet. And once I put that on it, really have the time to put that on it, then then it will come alive a little bit more. My go-to is the fact that I am, without having read it really, without having really studied it, if I was to just read it and try and read it passionately without doing those things, my go-to in my body is preacher rhythms because I learned the King James Bible as a young person. Mm. And so I know these rhythms well from that. And of so course. my body automatically goes into preacher mode when I have these long texts like this. And so I have to really pull it apart and break it apart and get meaning and understanding because my body automatically goes to the rhythm mm. rather than to the sole meaning of what the conversation really is. Now, when I'm doing it, in preacher rhythms, it still is entertaining. <laughs> For it's sure. just not as clear. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's not as clear. <laughs> you know? All the intentions are not as live. And so all of those things are some of the things that I uh, learned to do over the years. Um, recently, I've been trying to do the dropping in thing. And then I've also been, uh, more recently, I've been trying to figure out and find out when are the opportunities that I might be able to include an audience member mm. by looking at them and delivering the line so that the audience stays connected to um, the actors on the stage. Like that. That's that's normally how I do it. I love it. it. I love it. So, so I feel like you've kind of given us a roadmap in a way for the rest of the episode because there's so much for us to explore there. So exciting. I think you've already given our listeners uh, some incredibly valuable tools uh, for just breaking down and orientating yourself for the speech. I think the last words 
uh, or sometimes uh, the last strong stress, I suppose, in a verse line. Uh, I think being able to look at those to identify, I guess, what the driving themes of the piece are uh, can be really revealing. Like in this one, for instance, you know, at the very beginning, you said the, the thrust of the argument of the speech is let me marry your daughter. And yet the endings, the line endings give a very different picture what feels like above the line when we heard you read the whole speech for the first time quite a conciliatory tone quite a i'm here to be friends i want us to get along let's unite our families that doesn't sound like richard in terms of our our received impression of him whereas when we look at these words alone we start to see something just a little bit more sinister and because it's got that contrast, uh, maybe a little bit more rich to be able to try and play both those things uh, at the same time. I think that's absolutely fascinating. I mean, obviously we've talked about uh, vowels and consonants, things of that nature. You said about things like that and those kind of strong T's on the end there, those sharp T's. So are, are there any consonants in here that are really jumping out at you? And are there any that I guess feel like they're connected in some way to either the intention or to the argument, I guess. I think the first one is in the first word, look, mm. because uh, the K needs to be strong so that it stops her. Of course, I'm going to say repent. Mm. I'm, going to, I'm going to stress daughter because that's what this is about. Mm. Um, repent is important because... I have to get her to forgive me while uh, for killing her, for her, her husband, her brothers, and her sons. How the hell am I going to do that and ask for her daughter's hand in marriage in the same sense? For sure. Same and so slippery as well, because like, <laughs> what, what's incredible to me is that in the scene, she accuses him several times and he says something to the effect of, you're behaving like I killed your sons or something like that. Like he doesn't admit to it and he suggests that he hasn't done it and that he's innocent earlier in the scene. And then we get here and at the start, he kind of euphemistically alludes to it you know we deal unadvisedly so it's such an indirect way of saying i murdered all your family um and, and then suddenly we get you know if i did take the kingdom from your sons and if i did kill the issue of your room like it, it's such a crazy thing to to once you've established to the audience i'm denying this i'm innocent of this i didn't do this but if i did <laughs> And, and that's why you're asking for someone's forgiveness. Like, what an insane ploy. And I, I just wonder whether, again, what, what's the strategy, I guess? What do, you, what do you think he's... Why is he doing that, do you think? Well, one, he, he at this point, he needs her to understand that although she's winning, perceivably winning the argument, he is the power in the room. And so, one, you need to calm down. Yeah, I messed up. But this is what I need now. And I need you to get on my side, and I need you to get on my side quickly. Because it's mm -hmm. to your benefit if you do. So calm down and come on. 
<laughs> I, I love that as a that's, two-part. That's where he is. Calm down. Come on. Um, I think there's another line somewhere in Shakespeare, isn't there? What's past is prologue. Um, you know, it, it, it seems like he's very much taking yes, that. Absolutely. But he didn't count on her having the ability to stand toe-to-toe and yeah. match him uh, energy to energy. And then yeah. sometimes her energy even overtopping or her energy taking the conversation to a space where he's really trying to avoid. Right. So he's like, this half up, I'm going to have to put her down. So. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Oh, amazing. Well, listen, I think we're we're in a lovely place now um, in terms of understanding the context and something of the stakes of the situation for Richard. That idea that, you know, if this is a competition, it feels like it's one where he's got to make up some ground with this next speech. So there's there's certainly a sense of, of urgency there and of commanding the agenda, I suppose, because she's spoken for a long time uh, in, in the kind of prelude, in the run-up to this. Um, so he's got to try and take that space back again, I suppose. Yes. Amazing. So, you know, I think it's really exciting that after doing as much Shakespeare as you have um, and, you know, winning all the awards that you have and, you know, being an artistic director and everything, you're still on the frontier of your practice and there are still new things that you're doing and trying to continue to kind of hone and, and deepen that craft. So you mentioned something that I'm really curious about, dropping in. Would you be willing to mm-hmm. kind of give us an, a, an idea of what that means uh, as a practice? Well, you know, I'm not an expert at it. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's 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 a technique that I, I I learned at Shakespeare and Company, and then my first teacher Elizabeth Swain also was teaching it teaching it to us. And when I think of dropping in, I say things like, "Look, what is done cannot now be amended." And then I'm like, well, what have you done? Have you done anything that cannot now be amended? Men shall deal unadvisedly sometimes. Have any men ever deal unadvisedly with you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Then I remember remember what that feels like. Mm. And so now it helps me to know how to say it. And it also helps me to remember it. Um, which after hours gives leisure to repent. Oh yeah, now you sorry, (laughs) you know. So I start to really, just really try and go in um, and to make amends. I I try and go in and really see what these things mean to me. I drop these words down. This is how I take it because without really understanding what it is, I take it like that to make amends. Um, what is it like for someone to make amends? Mm. Um, what do you do to make amends? What does that mean? Um, and so I'm like, amends, okay, sorry, fix it. How do I make it things better? How do I um, uh, soften the situation? Um, how do I uh, make up for it? And so I start to drop all those kinds of words and thoughts and feelings into my body so that when I get to those parts, I I know what I might need to do. Maybe I need to be softer. Maybe if I'm yelling at her, all of a sudden that makes me become softer. You know, if I have killed the issue, 
oh wait what what does that mean kill to kill have you ever killed anything how did you feel when you killed it what do you think the thing was was like what did you cry so all those things i start to drop down the information of what that is and what the experience of the words dropping the experience of the words down into my body into my mind into my soul so that they uh hit spots that make them come alive does that make mm. sense oh it absolutely does yeah i, th- I think i've heard yeah. it referred to i mean i guess there are some similarities here with emotional recall i suppose from from the sort mm-hmm. of the method uh but i've also heard it referred to as mining the text um mm-hmm. in terms of trying to draw draw out internal resonances with what's being said so it's not just as hamlet puts it words 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 um yes that, you know these are real lived experiences um that have a context uh, and i think yes um it's really exciting you know even just hearing you take three or four lines finding those key words in there it was interesting to me that most of the words that you chose were verbs were the doing words the action words uh, and i think mm. that can be a really nice guide uh, for people if they're mm. going through a speech to to look at what what actually can i drill down into um to to find those resonances within if you like uh, and i think what's lovely about the way that you talked about it obviously the majority of people not everyone but the majority of people won't have killed someone won't have killed some won't be speaking to the mother of someone whose children they've killed but they will have killed something almost certainly even if it's a fly you know and i think what's really interesting about that as a as a methodology is that i feel like sometimes we expect to have the meal or nothing when in fact we can have the ingredients for the meal and by doing a little bit of imaginative work in mixing and blending those colors and flavors and memories and experiences together we can develop something for ourselves that feels like a a similar kind of vibe to what the character uh, might be feeling in that context right absolutely absolutely that's how i that's that's how I've learned to do it. I've learned to try and go in and, of course, one, understand the words, understand the speech, understand all the things that you've already asked me about, um, who, what, when, where, why, how. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then, of course, going in, trying to get the experience of the words, what they mean, mm. and then uh, what they might mean to me uh, how they're affecting me as the character and how the words might be affecting the other, um, whoever it is I'm talking to, whether it's one person or a crowd, what am I, how am I trying to affect them? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so I, I really want to just take her head off, but I know I need her right now. So how do I, how do I fix it so that I win? So, um, you know, one one of the good things I've learned is when looking at a speech or a play or a character, um, figuring out what do you love? And I don't necessarily love the daughter, nor do I love her, um, nor do I really love anybody, but I do love the power. And so if I can get from her what I need from her, which is her daughter's hand, then it gives me the ability to keep power. And that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> ah, 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it feels like and there's a there's a statement that he makes in Henry the Sixth. I think it's part three. He's just murdered Henry the Sixth. I think in the tower. And he says something like, I have no brother, I am like no brother. Mm. And it's it to me, that has always felt like a bit of a fulcrum of realisation for the character of, oh, if I decide to be inhuman, if I decide to be sociopathic, if I decide to that any means necessary, that the ends justify the means, that I can do anything to get what I want, how liberating, how exciting, how empowering, I suppose, is that? Yeah. And then that kind of leads back to what we were saying about the the argument, I guess, that, that, that he keeps putting himself in these impossible situations and repeatedly pulling off the impossible. Because I believe um, at the end of this speech, she does consent to her daughter marrying Richard, right? He wins. Yes, he does win. Incredible. At least for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. I, I just want to I just want to uh, take a little bit of a detour just briefly for the benefit yes. of our audience, um, yes. which is I think you raise a really important question, which is if there is a word that you don't know, or if there's a word that you just think you know, or if there's a word that you are not a hundred percent like using in your own daily vocabulary, you will look it up. And I think that's just a really useful practice. There are quite a few of those in this speech. So I think it might just be worth us just doing a quick tour of them and bashing them out so that our audience can understand what they mean uh, when they hear them next time, but can also understand what it is that you specifically are putting into them. So, you know, the first one, I think, is in the first line. I think you pulled out amended, right? That was that was one of the first ones yes. uh, that you picked out. So what what are we saying that amended means in this context? Are, are, you, are we looking up uh, a thesaurus or are we just making it up according to what we think we know? Shall I do the thesaurus and then you can interpret yes. that for performance? Let's yes. do that. That sounds great. Let's do it. Let's do it. So to amend uh, is to make minor changes to... <laughs> Uh, in order to make it fairer or more accurate, uh, improve. <laughs> I love this one. Improve the texture or facility of soil, <laughs> right? So essentially, I guess it's to fix, to improve, something of that nature. Um, so, so that's that's what it means in the dictionary. What do you think it means here? I like I like that. That's why I laughed because it helps me to 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 tease it out. So when I first look at it, I use the word fixed. I do say fixed. Nice, yeah. Um, not improved, because you can't improve a death. <laughs> you can't really fix it either. But amended, when I think of amended, I think of sewing, like mending. Mm. So something is broken and it needs to be put back together. Yeah. And right now the broken thing is her heart. Oh, so good. And I can't sew it back together for you. Nice. I can't, but... That's beautiful. Um, That's beautiful. See, in my mind, I guess what came, what sprung up first was to make amends, that that kind of uh, phrase that we use. But I think mm-hmm. that idea of the, the sewing back together a broken heart that is powerful imagery you know that is some that is performable <laughs> stuff so that's wonderful all right next one i think was unadvisedly uh so Ooh. the thesaurus says um in an unwise or rash manner which seems pretty fair um, <laughs> so so just a synonym really i mean i think for me yes. there's a quality of 
advice unadvisedly suggests that he didn't take advice or he, he right. didn't have a a meeting of shall we kill rivers <laughs> shall we kill her right. kids he just kind of did it uh on impulse right. so i guess i guess that's the rash side of it is impulsively right. rash foolish um mm. without thinking you know didn't didn't take the time to do those things that i needed to do mm. i didn't really seek the advice of another person i uh, i didn't really think it through i i just did it yeah had i thought about it it also it says had i thought about it i might have done something different nice sorry mm. <laughs> which i guess I guess is what the next line is suggesting, which after hours give leisure to repent, right? Like Because I've thought about it now. Yeah. And I've had some some downtime, some leisurely hours, and now I realize the error of my ways. Yeah. Maybe next we- time I'll get advice. I mean, I feel like after hours is such an interesting phrase it feels almost like there's a mm-hmm. hyphen between those because it's it's the hours after i've committed the murder essentially isn't it yes um and mm-hmm. I, so i think that's interesting and then i think just the and also that, after yeah. hours is late night into the night when i'm alone and quiet yes nice yeah the after hours almost like uh when the pub's closed right like when the, when the day is done <laughs> yeah absolutely but but what i find when fascinating about this because we've talked about it throughout as i i i and what he actually says is men generally shall deal unadvisedly sometimes so men unspecific sometimes unspecific right so he's not saying i dealt unadvisedly in the case of murdering your brother and children <laughs> right right it's, it's not a distance in there yeah right distance right. in there, which i think is just it, it's significant in some way and that something just came to me when you said that yeah men shall deal unadvisedly because i started thinking about it a little bit Mm. And, and and I said to myself, this is not like a uh, confession. You know, men, men shall deal unadvisedly and I'm a man. And so it's just men, men do these things. It's in our nature and it's, it's not my fault. That is wonderful. Yes. So he is almost blaming the patriarchy for his behavior, um, which at that time, you know, it's, you see it in Romeo and Juliet, you see it all through the plays, um, violence, dueling, um, you know, death was much more commonplace at that time. And deaths among nobles uh, in particular, you know, I think it's Louis Fourteenth. I know that's France and not England, uh, but had to ban dueling because the, there wouldn't have been any nobles left because they were killing each other, uh, honour killings mm. over the slightest little thing. Mm. And so I guess that that can be useful for us to place it in, in a world where this kind of thing is a lot more common and less of a big deal <laughs> than it yeah. is now. Fabulous. So if I did take the kingdom from your son to make amends, so there's that uh, that word amend again, to make amends, I'll give it to your daughter. If I've killed the issue of your womb, to quicken your increase, I will beget. So I feel like there's <laughs> a lot going on in that one line there. <laughs> You're shaking your head. <laughs> First, he's like, if I did it, then I could fix it by doing that. And if that's true, if the other thing is true, then we can quickly give you back some of what you lost. Really? Okay. <laughs> just the, it's just the nerve of this person. 
Oh, absolutely. So, so I'm just typing in quicken as one of those yes. words that we might not understand immediately. Uh, and it's told me that it is a personal finance and money management software. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think well, is I what Shakespeare you, intended. When I think of quicken, I think of King James Bible. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think of those passages where uh, maybe Jesus brought somebody back from the dead. Um, uh mm. I think of church when they talk about the Holy Ghost falling and you get a quickening, which, you know, your body does one of those things because it's like a jolt goes through uh-huh. and it, it awakens something. And um, yeah. to bring so back this is, to life. This is by no means an equivalent reference, but when I hear quicken and especially quickening, I think of the film Highlander. <laughs> In which it's used to mean like, yeah, like empowering, essentially. Like you power up when you kill another immortal being. Uh, sorry, deep cut on 80s uh, NAF oh, action films there. Uh, but, but, but I think also it's just worth mentioning, um, for those who maybe aren't aware, the King James Bible, the person that's named after is King James the, the first, the yes. first uh, of Great Britain, who was uh, around in Shakespeare's day. He was the, he was the king that was on the throne when uh, the later plays like Macbeth and Othello and things of that nature were written. Um, and it is remarkable how similar the language of Shakespeare sounds to the ear to the language of the Bible. And I wonder whether actually that's one of the reasons contributing to Shakespeare's enduring popularity is that, especially in majority Christian countries where there will be a familiarity with that sound world of the Bible, which tells you this is important, (laughs) right? The, The content here matters. Whether some of that value that that is placed on the bible has also therefore some of that shine has rubbed off on shakespeare yes because you know i think that similar the king james bible was meant to unite the people all the people uh the protestants Mm. the catholics uh all of the people Mm. and that in the same way shakespeare's play is meant to unite all of the people through stories you know they were absolutely 47 editors um, and, uh, you know, on the Bible. And so when you think about the language and the use of language and the beautiful words and the pretty words and the wonderful stories, you can see how you can just quickly draw parallels to the two. And they're both mm. really uh, rhythmic and magical Um and and it's a beautiful thing yeah sure. so just staying with that for a second so we've got to quicken your increase i will beget um so we've got quicken which is to revive uh, your increase is essentially it seems to be in uh, certainly in this context your offspring mm-hmm. right your, the, it's the increase of your family um in, in in number terms, I suppose there are more more children. I will beget, and beget is another yes, biblical right. word, right? It's used constantly in. Is it the genealogies? Absolutely. You know, Isaac begat, right. and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. Begat, begat, begat. So he's using a lot of biblical terminology (laughs) and that's another thing that is accused of elsewhere in the text i believe and i think that that's richard and thus i clothe my naked villainy with old odd ends stolen out of holy writ and seem a saint when most i play the devil and that seems to be what he's doing right now right he's using the language of the bible to seem pious a saint (laughs) (laughs) wiggery trickery in other words, wickery trickery. I love it. Wow. So mine 
issue uh, of your blood upon your daughter. So mine issue, again, I guess is offspring in this case. Mm-hmm. Then is the doting title of a mother. So do- doting feels like one that we wouldn't use every day. Yeah. Yes. But also, before we get there, I mean, just, I don't know, maybe I'm not letting up the word. Maybe I'm just Please, thinking Please, no, take it away. He's like... A grandma. Don't oh, worry, grandam. A grandma. Yes. No, you're so right. <laughs> yes, grandam. So easy to miss. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know that That's the word beautiful. dam it means mum in, uh, so, you know, you get all, all my mm-hmm. pretty chickens and their dam and one fell swoop and so on. Um, uh, that's used as mother. So grandam, therefore mm-hmm. grandma, as we would say. <laughs> um, wh- that's, yes, that's a useful yes. question to ask, though, especially in your capacity as an artistic director, I suppose, uh, and a producer. Would you be tempted to change that to grandma? No, I would say grandam, because then I would teach. If, if, if you say it correctly, then, oh, this whole little section, then you would understand that that means grandma. Yeah. Yeah, so the context is helping us. I would, Im- I would imagine. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that that's what would happen. So for doting, I've got extremely fond, adoring. Sounds pretty right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the adoring mother. They are as children, but one step below. Even of your metal. So that was one of those uh, words that you mentioned very early on. Metal. Um, so I've got mm-hmm. a substance or spirit for that. Um, so they're so they're of your substance, of your mm-hmm. blood, of your spirit, of your blood. Uh, I guess I guess that kind of works in that situation. Vexation, I think, was the next one that you uh, pulled out, which I think is a, a really good one because not not yes. a common common word to use. Uh, whenever I hear vexation, I am vexed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little more than pissing off. It's more that thing they call scraping or a stone cutter. It's like, uh, you know how you fall mm. and you scrape your knee, and that that the whole Oof. surface just tingles. Oh, that's so like visceral! That. I love that. From the thesaurus, far less poetically <laughs> and far less interestingly, it says "cause of annoyance." <laughs> I'm like. Okay, great. But I think I think we'll go with your uh, stone cutter, scraped knee, visceral uh, sensation, embodied sensation that we can uh, uh, that we can really feel. And then we've got amends again. So what's been really interesting, actually, about going through this process as well is that we find amended at the top, amends about a third of the way through, amends again two-thirds of the way through. So we keep coming back to the word amends. Absolutely. Yeah, because he's trying to figure out how to bring her into the fold, Mm. you know, by promising her that it's going to be better. It can be better, baby. Just just go with it. Hell of a sales pitch. Um, so chastised, I think, was the next one uh, that you uh, that you picked out. Chastised. I've got rebuke or reprimand severely. Mm. <laughs> but then I've also got, ah, there's a second one, uh, which helpfully it says is a dated <laughs> definition, is to punish, especially by beating. Now that sounds, in mm. this context, probably more accurate because he's talking about um, yes. the rebel. Uh, dual-brained Buckingham. Right, um, absolutely. Yes. Right. So, so I think uh, to punish right. by beating sounds probably uh, right. more on it there. Uh, bound with triumphant, I guess that I feel like we we we've used that word uh, in our modern language. Triumphant, I think. Uh, conqueror. Oh yeah, I think I think I think my script has cut that. Bound with triumphant, darling, will I come oh. and leave your daughters to a conqueror's bed? 
Mm. Didn't it say so? See, I'm remembering that. I don't have that in front of me, but since you said it, yeah. I'm kind of remembering Well, it. actually, this, the script that you have has a really significant cut, and I think that's probably worth mentioning to our audience, just in case they get yes. a little bit disorientated. There's a whole section after, therefore, accept such kindness as I can. Next, 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 next. But as I always let people know, um, we will be putting a version of this text in a Google Doc, a link to which will be in the episode description. So if you want to go and check it, it's all that text is there just with a strike through so you can see what has been cut. Um, I'd love to ask though, Debran, did you cut that? And if so, what was your decision making process? Um, I think the first cut probably came from when I performed uh elizabeth in richard ah. III, maybe the dramaturg cut it but Got i you. think sure. for the purposes of this particular script which is part of something that i co-wrote called the sable series the history of black shakespearean actors and ah. so i had two actors from from uh from the old day like henrietta vinton davis and ira aldridge together they were what if they had a chance meeting and they did this scene and so we perform Ooh. it like that and so nice. we needed to further cut it because the play is uh you know 84 minute version play not just of richard but of all of the things that ira and henrietta and paul robeson have done uh including their songs that they used to sing and so that sounds fascinating i i cut this a little bit more so that it was not as long um as the really original scene sure yeah, yeah. so for leanness right for for e efficiency and economy for leanness, i think that's to yes. totally yes. valid um wonderful uh so chastised we've had uh rebel i think you might have picked out as well um, so, and, and I think that's a great one because for me, you know, I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan. The word rebel has very different connotations Isn't to me. Isn't he a rebel? than it would have done for Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, so I think going back to the dictionary in that sense is actually, it can actually be really useful. Um, so we've got a person who rises in opposition or armed resistance against an established government or leader. Uh, so that sounds uh, pretty accurate in terms of what's going on in the story here. Uh, Buckingham was his, I think, greatest friend and advisor for a lot of the play uh, and then turns against him sort of in the 11th hour, starting his downfall, I guess, or downward spiral certainly yeah he got scared he said i'm getting the hell out of here he ain't gonna kill mm. me too <laughs> <laughs> you can see the writing on the wall hang on a second soon i'll be the only one left time to go <laughs> <laughs> love it love it love it i think the other one uh, is garlands that's another one that i wouldn't necessarily know um that i definitely knew what that meant uh, and it means a wreath of flowers and leaves worn on the head or hung as decoration which i think once we understand that is really useful because a triumph a headdress made of leaves are roman symbols roman words uh, roman ideas and then he refers to himself as caesar uh, and then says that she will be caesar's caesar so yes. he is putting himself on par here with the roman emperors <laughs> <laughs> which work it out richard it's a big swing. It's a big swing. But it feels to me that there's a little bit of hip hop. There's a little bit of that grandiose, self-aggrandizing, 
uh, kind of attitude of I am the greatest, right? A little bit yes, of Muhammad yes. Ali. And sometimes there, it's, right? you know, what I found over the years that even in hip hop and rap, sometimes it's self aggrandizement, but sometimes it is just building yourself up. It is, um, what's that word? Trying to get your confidence up. Um, mm. Because a lot of the times, like I say, when people start as the underdogs, you have to psych yourself up to believe that you are a certain thing in yes. order to maintain your position of of power. Because when you look yourself in the mirror, you know damn well that's not you, or that you're lying, or that well, that's not how others see you. I guess as well, right? That's not how so yeah. what society so will you, allow you to be. The yeah. more you say something, the more you become it. Yeah. You know? Um. So I wasn't I wasn't always a classically trained actor of color, but if you ask me now, I'll just say it because I've been saying it over and over again. So it is a way to shore myself up. The idea of him shoring himself up, gathering himself, um, trying to almost make himself believe that this victory is possible. I think that's a much richer interpretation of what's happening in this moment dramaturgically and and for an audience to watch the stakes and the vulnerability of that to bring some of that into richard of i will deserve your daughter when i've won this big victory you'll be happy that she's marrying me when i've won this big victory because i will be on par with the roman emperors it's a it's a promise it's a guarantee that's something that i had not considered when we were at the start of this process that now he's giving me the little neck tingles <laughs> i find that the more that you dive in and explore not only does it, you 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 better understand because the more an actor can do what i call actor dramaturgy or character dramaturgy um mm. to really understand all of the passages that you're saying the better it is for the actor and mainly for the audience, because that's why we do it for the audience. Um, the audience will have an opportunity to understand better the more we understand better. And that leads me on to another thing that you mentioned in our roadmap for the episodes, uh, which was about you're finding an opportunity to bring the audience in and so i yes. just wanted to touch on that uh, and this will probably be the last thing that we have time to <laughs> the last lens that we have time to look at this speech through uh, before we start to wrap up um but i just wanted to to think about that how do you go about finding opportunities to bring the audience in and then how would you do that i suppose in practice well um one once I uh, understood from uh, uh, my lovely uh, I call her Mama Shakespeare um, my lovely father. Once I understood that um, it's not even really about what an actor wants or feels, but it's more about what is the audience thinking and feeling, and what do you want them to think or feel. Yes. And so. I had that really strong lesson when she was directing my becoming of Dello, and I was like, "But just like, but nothing. It's it's about the audience, and so the more you can connect and the more you can engage them, the better the performance is for them. The better the experience is for them. And so I haven't done it with this speech because. I've never even really looked at this speech other than being in a scene with someone uh, opposite me. 
um, uh, reading it. So I don't really know where those parts are, but I imagine that I could find them. Well, that's exciting. Shall we try to do it? You know, uh, I think that men shall deal unadvisedly sometimes. I could take that out to a man in the audience. There's men. There's men watching, um, right? <laughs> yeah, I could take that out to someone out there. Which, after hours, gives leisure to repent. And then look at them and say, ain't that right? You know, you know. What you that, know. Ain't that right? <laughs> and then go back to her. If I took the kingdom from your sons to make amends, da-da-da-da, if Randam's name... Uh-huh. I, I can kind of take that out a little bit. Yeah, because see, if I could get the audience to agree with me, a granddam's name is a little less in love than it's a doting title of a mother. There's children. Yeah, That's it. Everyone's got a grandma. Everyone's got a mother. That's universal. Yeah. You know, 100%. You know, I, I might even get a giggle. Uh, they are of your metal, your very blood. Uh, uh, all of one pain sing for a night of groans. <laughs> yes. In thought of her for whom you bid like sorrow. Your children were a vexation. Back so to her. Mine shall be a comfort. Mm -hmm. And when this arm of mine has chastised the petty rebel, bound with garland will I come and lead your daughter to a comfort's bed. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, do you think do you think that whole bit about uh this arm of mine has chastised the petty rebel um do you think that bit could include the audience do you I think, think it can i think i think you could could could, could use both of them i mean all of it is to to of course to her but i think it, it might be able to yeah it feels like that's mm -hmm. a nice one because it's like and there's a big gory fight scene coming up everyone stay come back for act five <laughs> right it's, it's like uh ne next time on 24 you know it's get, got that kind of vibe ready. to it <laughs> yeah get ready absolutely <laughs> so we you know we find like three solid points there uh, which which for a speech of this length feels ample in terms of making sure that the audience feels like they're included like they're part of i guess the conversation the argument that's taking place here um i, I just feel like that that was such an important thing that you hit on that i didn't want to that i didn't want to leave that <laughs> thread uh yeah before we i mean normally on. i wouldn't have even ever really thought to include the audience on those parts but now that, you know, I've had a lot of time in, in you know, just training up and learning as an actor, mm. I can see, I can better see now how, um, how finding those places and spaces when I can talk to the audience is, is actually a good thing. And so that you don't get so thrown every time a different audience comes, I learned from one of my other acting buddies, just take it out to whoever's sitting audience left or audience right or in the rafters so that you have a certain spot you're going to hit and so that you remember what you're doing, you know, and if there's yeah. a person there in that section, you can talk to them. Nice. That's, that was some mad cool stuff that I've been I've been learning. No, that's fantastic. I, th I think that has its roots in uh, the mind palace, I think, which was uh, actually a memory technique where in order to re remember these long speeches, you would deliberately address specific parts of it to specific parts of the room so that when you turn your head, your brain goes, oh, right, it's this bit. <laughs> that's why a lot of times you can't get your text memorized until you learn your blocking. 100%. Yeah, no, you've got to learn it through the body, I say. Absolutely. I think it, it comes so much easier when it's embodied. Always, always. So I think that's fantastic. So um, 
I'm going to do a quick recap of some of the things that we've found uh, for the benefit of our audience. And after that, it'd be great to do a second read with uh, some, if not all, of those kind of intentions, choices, ideas uh, in there. Obviously, it's just the next read. It's not the finished performance. Um, but uh, nevertheless, it'll be great just to hear it with some of these discoveries in place. So we started off with look as a wonderful and that strong K on that look there uh, just demanding attention almost sucking the air out of the room making sure that um, she is paying full attention to what's about to come we've talked about uh, amended this idea of sewing back together the broken heart which is I just think is astonishing uh, we've talked about this idea of men generally not me specifically it's not my fault uh, can deal unadvisedly rashly um, uh, and after hours uh, we have the leisure to repent uh, uh, to uh, ask for forgiveness um we've got these ifs these wonderful ifs if i did this then to make amends i'll give it to your daughter if i killed the issue of your womb then to quicken your increase i will beget mine issue etc i think i think there's something wonderful in this line i will beget mine issue of your blood upon your daughter which to me feels like one of those hidden bullet point lists that Shakespeare sometimes feathers in where it's like A of your blood and B more specifically of your daughter <laughs> it's like if you didn't understand what I meant the first time I'll just make it a little bit more specific just in case um, a grandam's name is a little less in love again generalised out to the audience uh, all of one pain save for a night of groans there's a, a bit of a comedy uh, moment there uh, I think there's there's a question that I have about this um, uh, of all one pain, save for a night of groans endured of her, for whom you you bid like sorrow. There's a question to me. I'm interested to know what you feel. What is the what is the night of groans? You know, he he he, he got some damn nerves, and <laughs> you know, I don't even know why he's going to go there with this because I think it would just make her more mad. I mean, it makes me more mad when I hear it. So because what it sounds to me like is um, the actual act of the coupling happening. And, you know, so right. he's like, you're going to have some children and you didn't even have to moan and groan for it. it it's your daughter who did all the moaning and groaning. <laughs> <laughs> that damn asshole. I mean... <laughs> People, listeners to this podcast will know, I have a tendency to default to the dirty version if if a dirty version That's is what available. That's he's saying. Um, if, he said it's of yeah. your metal, of your blood, yeah. all of one pain, save for the night of growth. I've seen it interpreted <laughs> that it means the childbirth itself, um, because you're groaning in pain. It could mean that, but if you ask me... I wonder whether the ambiguity in this is useful because he can let the audience know he means the coupling and then he can feign innocence with Elizabeth that he actually meant the childbirth if she got really mad about it, right? Oh, no, no. <laughs> you're the one with the filthy mind. Not I meant the childbirth. Yeah, because you're not going to have any children. You're not going to beget anything unless you have the act of, uh, of the coupling. So true. So true. <laughs> I love how oh, wow. So you've just, but you've just, you've just formed a new connection there, which is another little uh, twist of the knife. Which is that the word beget, for as biblical as it is and as holy as it sounds, again means the act of coupling, <laughs> right? And so even even infusing that word with a little sense of that um, sensuality, I suppose, uh, and the fact that you're yes. talking about, I'm going to have sex with your daughter. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's bold. It's very bold. Yeah, I mean, even his last his last sentence. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna kick the enemy's ass, and I'm gonna come back and take your daughter to the bed. Yeah. What? <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. Fabulous. So, so much that we've discovered in such a relatively short amount of time. Uh, Obviously, we've talked more broadly about this idea of dropping in. and We found some examples of, you know, what it feels like to uh, make amends, what it feels like to deal unadvisedly and be dealt with unadvisedly, uh, what it it feels like to repent um, and how we might do that earnestly or otherwise, what it's like to kill, um, what it's like to, I guess, by default, quicken beget um (laughs) have a night of groans there's uh, all those things that have very visceral memories attached to them and then there's other things like vexation that have also had a kind of visceral physical quality to them that idea of that that open wound uh feeling uh which i think is really exciting um and so with just some of those things in mind I'd love for us just to take another run at it now, uh, just to see how much it's come on uh, as a result of the discoveries that we've made so far. But just before we do, the last question that I always ask is, putting yourself in position that you're about to go out and perform this scene for an audience, for real, on a stage. What is the last thing you do before you go out there to get yourself in the right space to deliver? Remember to breathe deeply. I quickly trying to recall my, uh, what I want, what I want to achieve uh, in the scene. And I remember where I am now, where I'm coming from, what room I'm going into. And for the most part, what happened the last time I saw this woman. And I go in with, I prepare my emotional self for whatever space I need to be in. And then I, I call that up and off I go. Wonderful. Then in your own time, Deborah Ann Bird, off you go. Look, what is done cannot now be amended. Men shall deal unadvisedly sometimes, which after hours gives leisure to repent. If I did take the kingdom from your sons to make amends, I'll give it to your daughter. If I kill the issue of your womb to quicken your increase, I will beget my issue of your blood upon your daughter. A grandam's name is little less in love than is the doting title of a mother. They are as children, but one step below, even of your metal of your very blood, all of one paid, save for a night of groans, endured of her for whom you bid like sorrow. Your children were a vexation to your youth, but mine shall be a comfort to your age. The loss you have is of a son being king, and by that loss, your daughter is made queen. I cannot make you what amends I would. Therefore, accept such kindness as I can. And when this arm of mine have chastised the petty rebel, bound with triumphant garland shall I come and lead your daughter to a conqueror's bed. And she shall be so victorious 
Caesar's Caesar. I guess, I guess, something like that. Something like that, I something guess. like that. I love it. So was there anything hearing it out loud again as you were saying it? Was there anything that occurred to you there in terms of what you think your next steps might be in getting this ready for a performance? I mean, like really doing the work that I said. Sure, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> really, really taking time with it and really just saying it over and over Um uh, you know, that thing I call practice, 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 mm. really saying it over and over so that each time I find new things until I find something that feels uh, right and strong. And then it may shift a little uh, each time, depending on the posture of Elizabeth in the space. Mm. Um depending on the energy that I come into the theater with that evening. Um, I can imagine if I had a really effed up day, this speech might come out a little different. Um, <laughs> if I had a very beautiful, blissful day, then I would have to conjure up some energy to, um, to make this thing to pull it off and so it, it's all of the there's so many moving parts mm. um to what this thing would end up looking like so i would imagine that in rehearsal with elizabeth based on how much fever she actually was able to give me um leading up to this speech hopefully it's enough fever to get me going but even if it's not, I have to figure it out because no one wants to listen to a uh, a long 20-line speech without layers and flavors. Mm. <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah. There's got to be new ideas, new thoughts coming in, new directions taken, all the rest of it. Absolutely. It should never feel like absolutely. a block. Absolutely. Work, right? Working on that. Working on those Wonderful. things would be, you know, really, really, really next steps. And then listening to what the directors say that sometimes, you know, that will help me pull out certain kinds of things mm. that, that I'm always looking for that. And because I'm an artistic director uh, and producer, I sometimes don't have a lot of time to mind the text the way I really would love to. And mm. so I strongly count on my directors to, they're like, so how would you do it? Uh, make it up. Um, how do you create it? I say, I have time to create right now. Mm. I need you to tell me what it is I need to do and I will deliver you what you asked for. So thank you so much for saying that because as someone who has directed and produced myself, you know, I had an audition recently and the director said I don't feel qualified to direct you and I was like absolutely not it is a different ball game saying the words out loud as an actor than it is sitting there and observing them as a director and I need that in this space right now so you've got to bring that with you and I, I just think that it, it's that I hope will be really empowering for our audience to hear that even someone who is as experienced, as expert, as multi-award winning as yourself, uh, that you still need that outside eye. You need that kind of perspective to help find those dimensions because it's too much for one person to do alone. And especially, as you say, if you're under umpteen other pressures, um, as you might Absolutely. be as a And the pressure, the biggest added pressure, it's one thing to play any of the roles in Shakespeare, 
to play the women leads is a big job, mm. but to play the men leads is utterly ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For example, when I played Othello, I had to stop during rehearsal and just throw my two fists in the air and wave them at Shakespeare and say, what were you trying to do to this actor? Did you not like him? Were you trying to kill him? Because it's a lot. And yeah. so the more help that we can get from our fellow actors, mainly from our director or the vocal coach or the dramaturg or anyone who could help us bring this thing alive is the ideal scene. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for me, just some things that that I noticed when you gave this kind of new reading of the speech, things that just already for me were starting to kind of clarify and crystallise, were in particular the number of antitheses in there, which is that strong contrast of opposites. And in particular bad and good the two sides of the coin this is the bad thing this is the good thing this is the stick this is the carrot so you've got take and give son and daughter yes. uh yeah killed and quickened um so you, you you know you've got taking away and giving over and over and over again um and then there's there's a couple of others uh, towards the end there as well i think you know the loss that you have is your son being a king your daughter is made a queen um you know you've got this constant uh, you know i i cannot make you the amends i would accept such kindness as i can not only an antithesis uh, but it's what what's called hyperbaton is how i would pronounce it hyperbaton sounds like a light yeah sounds like a lightsaber if it's a hyperbaton um but essentially uh, making sure that cannot and can are as far away from each other as possible like they're on the opposite ends of a seesaw and in so many of these thoughts that he has are two line thoughts where we're introducing one thing in one line at the beginning and then we're introducing something else at the end of the next line and it's what's called a balancing structure and this idea that the the thoughts that he's having are balanced that there's this push and pull this give and take throughout there and and one of the reasons that they theorize this is an effective rhetorical device is that it suggests that you yourself are reasonable that you are uh, sage and in control um if your thoughts are balanced if your reasoning is balanced then your argument must be a good one and so yes. just structurally that was really starting to sing out already just from uh from the work that we'd done on it um in this kind of hour and 20 minutes uh, which is hugely exciting to see so we have worked you extraordinarily hard, Deborah Ambert, and we thank you yes. for your incredible <laughs> contribution, your insights, your expertise. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. Before we go, uh, <laughs> is there anything that you would like to plug for the benefit of our listening audience? Well, um, I'm just really grateful about everything. Um, uh, Southwest Shakespeare's new season is coming up. It is my first uh, season as artistic director. It's going to be really beautiful. So if you find yourself in anywhere in the Southwest or in Arizona, um, starting in October through um, spring 2023, try and make your way to uh, Southwest Shakespeare, where we will be um, putting up some Antony Cleopatra, some King Lear, some Much Ado, The Alchemist, and um, 
Love's Labour's Lost, um, and uh, Stephen Wolford's Cry Havoc. So we're going to be having a great time here at Southwest Shakespeare. And catch me this summer at um, the the Gloucester uh, in Massachusetts, um, where I'll be performing Becoming Othello, or at the National Black Theatre Festival, where I will also be performing Becoming Othello in August. Um, I'll be in Gloucester in July, and hopefully I'll see you there. Amazing. Everybody, do be sure to check those out. That season is a monster season of bangers over at Southwest Shakespeare. That sounds incredible. And although I've not had the privilege of seeing Becoming a Fellow, I have read reviews online, uh, and it sounds like an absolutely extraordinary story. It's it's a kind of semi-autobiographical... Uh, there's uh, Someone described it as a choreo poem, which I thought was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, way of encapsulating... Uh, what the approach is. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about that show before we go? Um, well, Becoming Othello, uh, A Black Girl's Journey is um, uh, uh, a piece of my heart, a piece of my life. And um, I can't wait to come back that way to the UK so that um, I can share with you guys over there. Um, I think that you would find it uh, quite interesting as it has, as you said earlier, a bunch of Shakespeare, uh, over 200 Shakespeare lines um, mixed with the words of other brilliant poets, um, you know, and um, it's going to be a, a, a wonderful thing to um, get a listen to, to get a good quick see and to understand how Shakespeare is deeply and richly part of anyone's life who really wants it to be. Um, it's a magical thing, indeed. So beautiful, so beautiful. I, I will be there, front row seats, distractingly <laughs> eager, uh, for sure, for sure. Well, thank you so yes, much for your yes. time today, Deborah Ann. This has been absolutely wonderful. Listeners, as I said, there will be a link in the description to... Uh, we'll put some links on there for Southwest Shakespeare. We'll put some links on there for uh, Becoming Othello. Uh, we'll make sure that there is a copy of this text as well so that you can see the discoveries on the page if that's helpful. Uh, and we will see you next time for more Owning Shakespeare. Shakespeare.